0: Welcome to Beyond Politics broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson and I'm coming to you in both the Beyond Politics and the Capital Close-Up podcast feed. Capital Close-Up is the podcast feed that's dedicated to our New Hampshire listeners, the kinds of folks who might be hearing us on WKXL. Beyond Politics really goes beyond. We We really focus on national issues and a national audience. But I wanted today's show to appear in both. And I hope that if you're hearing this, you will make sure to subscribe to both, because today we once again welcome back Neil Levesque, the Executive Director of the St. Anselm's Institute of Politics, and the Overseer, the Director of the St. Anselm's Poll, which is one of of the truly highest quality polls that I see out there. And our conversations digging into these polls are always really enlightening, really informative, and I'm really excited to welcome you back, Neil. Well, thanks for having me back. This is great. Well, it's, it's, it's always a pleasure to have you. And look, as I was sort of alluding to a moment ago, the reason that I think that this show is relevant both to New Hampshire listeners and the more national audience that we also reach through Beyond Politics is that your poll is an excellent lens not just into the mindset of New Hampshire voters, but we find over and over again that it really does track with what we're seeing around the country, and that looking at these results really do it does provide insights into sort of the national mood the national trends and that really stood out to me in this most recent edition of your poll. you started out your summary of this poll when you put it out as a release by saying, your findings show that voters have become, quote, even more pessimistic, which is dragging down the job approval of all incumbents and potentially setting up a competitive election cycle. As always, campaigns and candidate quality matters, et cetera, et cetera. But the point is, you identify the sequence, the the, sort of the cause and effect of what seems to be going on, not just in New Hampshire, but around the country. Voters are pessimistic, and that is what is driving so many of the results on right track, wrong track, approval, and candidate standing that we're seeing not just in your poll, but in other surveys around the country. Is that, is that essentially your finding?
1: Yes. So uh, you mentioned New Hampshire, and I think you know New, we've talked about this before, that New Hampshire, I think, is a very good... Um, litmus test for the rest of the country. So it's a for some reason, it really does reflect national uh, trends and numbers. And so that's why you can take a small state like New Hampshire, do a poll like this, and really get a a sense of the mood that's out there. And what you point at is the fact that 74% of people in our poll or voters uh, believe that the country is on the wrong track. So they're pessimistic. They're unhappy. This is a continuing number we've seen uh, but 74% is really almost unprecedented. That's a very, very high number. So what does that do? Well, it really makes it sour uh, for anybody that's in an office. So if somebody's in charge and you don't like what's going on, um, you're you're unlikely to sort of say, okay, let's continue to have them continue in that job. So that's trouble for incumbents, but not, you know, we've seen not only our Democratic delegation, so our four members of our delegation, uh, their numbers have dropped. But also Governor Sununu, who is a popular Republican governor of our state, his numbers have slightly dropped as well. He is still the most popular, um, highest, high elected official in New Hampshire with a 53% approval rating. However, um, again, 74%. People are unhappy, and and the interesting thing is that if you dig into these numbers, what you find is that people who who say that they are uh, slightly liberal or very liberal also believe that the country is on the wrong track. Not by much; it's it's a little over half, but it's significant. So half of the people who are liberals. Believe the country is on the wrong track. And remember that uh, fair or unfair, the president would be described as a liberal or a Democrat. Uh, and and they that's the person leading our country. And and they're still unhappy with the direction of the country. It's it's a fascinating number.
0: And it's that in itself, I think gives the clearest explanation that i've heard so far about some of the disconnect i'm seeing as people discuss poll numbers especially there was a raft of polling that came out around when yours did and and around the one year anniversary of president biden assuming office and the disconnect is kind of a misunderstanding of what an approval rating says it's not necessarily a clear indicator of how voters are thinking someone is doing on the job. Even if the question that the pollster is asking is, do you approve of the job that President Biden is doing? What voters are hearing is maybe a little different. Maybe it's a distinction without a, a difference. As the as the journalist and opinion writer Matt Iglesias wrote in the New York Times this week, the nature of the White House is that even things that are not the president's fault are the president's problem. And I hear you kind of making that same distinction if the voters all have common problems that they're really unhappy about it before we went on the air you, you were saying it's like any other big problem in your life if you have a massive toothache you're not going to be happy about anything and right now we have still the effects of the pandemic still uh, the the effects of inflation and so whether or not voters think that that's joe biden and the democrats fault it's still their problem and you still see that reflected in all of the results of your poll.
1: Absolutely. And the president, you know, gets the benefits too from things that he's really not responsible for as well. So it's it's an up and down situation. If the stock market rallies and the president really has not much to do with it, uh, you know, he's going to reap the benefits. It's on day 2 of his administration for example. But at this point, he's slipped down to about a 41% approval rating and 58% uh, disapproved. Now, uh, there was a poll nationally by Quinnipiac about two weeks or a week prior to our numbers uh, that had him at 33. I think that that's probably pretty low. I think 41. When you get into the low 40s, you know you're you're talking about Democrats that are solid Democrats and they're going to vote for Joe Biden or whoever is the Democrat, no matter what. You're you're at the floor essentially. And, and so that, you know, I don't think it goes to 33. I think 40, 41 is probably the accurate number. Uh, and what we see, too, with some of these members of the congressional delegation who are Democrats, they're on those low 40s as well. They right. not like they had some massive drop in the fall or around Christmas time where they went from 60 to the low 40s. They've been hovering around those low 40s. And that's probably, again. Uh, the floor level. It's still a dangerous place to be if you're running for re-election.
0: Well, and I was just, it it jumped out to me that in your poll, you asked as well about the opinion of Donald Trump and what you find is an overall 43% favorable, 55% unfavorable, which is not that far off from A, Joe Biden's approval rating, and B, some of these other numbers that you're finding among elected officials in New Hampshire. Do you think that those small variations have more to do with, I mean, the the common theme is clearly, we're unhappy, we don't like anything that's going on, we're unhappy with you, we're unhappy with you, we don't like the whole thing. Do you think that the variations that you're seeing have more to do with, "Eh, I haven't heard too much about so and so, maybe I don't know my own member of Congress as well, so I'm not going to weigh in on this. Or what do you think accounts for those slight variations where Chris Sununu is doing a little bit better? Senator Gene Shaheen, longstanding New Hampshire senator, doing slightly lower than that. Senator Hassan doing slightly lower than that.
1: Well, Sununu is in a different thing. So Sununu is dealing directly with COVID, uh, and 62% of voters approve of the job he's done with COVID. So 62% approve of obviously an issue that it may not be number one on voters' minds, but it's certainly on everybody's mind. I, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll take a guess that it's on everyone's mind. Um, and you contrast that to 40% for Joe Biden, same issue and different feelings on how they handle. But getting back to the delegation, one of the biggest things that I've always seen in our polls is that there's always a difference between Senator Shaheen and Senator Hassan's uh, numbers. And in this poll, you see that Shaheen is at 48-48 and Senator Hassan is at 45% positive, 51 negative. Now, generally, there's always a gap there between those two members. And interestingly, they have similar backgrounds. They were both governors of New Hampshire, well-known, obviously, been on the ballot plenty of times. And they're also, they, they have very similar voting records. But for some reason, there is a gap every single time we poll. Um, and you know, it's it, it, you can guess as to what it is. I don't know what it is, but it's certainly a problem for Senator Hassan as she goes into re-election, because if she had Shaheen's numbers, she would probably be in definitely in much better shape. Um, and some of the other members is interesting, because Congressman Chris Pappas is in what they would say would be more of a Republican district as it stands now, it's gonna get redistricted. Uh, but he has a slightly higher um, sort of number than, than than Custer. Custer's at 41% uh, positive to 49% um, negative. And, and Pappas is 43 to 47. It shouldn't be that way, it should be the other way. If you just take generic Democrats and Republicans in a district, so is it some personality? Is it the fact that Chris Pappas is a pretty well known in New Hampshire's largest city uh, and known for things other than politics, which I think is very, very important for his reelect? Um, probably. So there is always a different uh, number here, but again, getting back to Sununu, fifty-three, forty-four. He's in a pretty safe spot.
0: Well, it that those differences, that is worth talking about. And I also want to talk about that generic ballot question in just a moment. But that, that difference that you pointed out, so for our listeners around the country who may be a little bit less familiar, you're right that Senator Hassan and Senator Shaheen do have, in many ways, a similar background. The difference being that Senator Shaheen has been a known quantity in New Hampshire for longer. She was the governor back in the 2000s and has been a senator since 2008, and she she's just a, a, a sort of a more of a household name brand than Senator Hassan. Senator Hassan has also had a more contentious political campaign much more recently, barely eking out her win in her last race against then-Senator Kelly Ayotte. So kind of looking at that difference, do you think that that supports the conclusion that there is still such a thing in politics as an enduring name ID, name brand, and that that can provide you just a little bit of a shield against some of these up and downs and vicissitudes of of public opinion.
1: Sure, absolutely. So name brand and whether or not you well, all politics is local, right? So did you help a certain set of people in your small town and people in that small town know that you did this thing for them and therefore they're going to cross lines and, and, and your brand is a better brand than others? Yes, absolutely. Um, I always used to say that, that brand awareness and brand loyalty and politics is sort of only known by the person who has the last name of the brand, meaning that, politicians a lot of times will say, people know me and they're going to vote for me because they know me and they like me. But that's not always the case. And we've seen plenty of incumbents who have plenty of name recognition and branding that get thrown out of office regularly. And they're always shocked by it. Uh, But the voters aren't shocked. And it can happen. So there's a fine line there. I think that constituent service, you know, that sort of over six year senate term slowly putting out a lot of press earned media saying I'm helping the community I'm doing this I'm here I'm in your community that kind of thing definitely try will will overcome a lot of elections and when we have elections that are so close I think a lot of that that matters and so there is something to this Shaheen um, versus Hassan number and it probably could be explained by that, not to take anything away from Senator Hassan. Um, But I do think, you know, she has, she has, and her, uh, she, meaning the Hassan campaign, and organizations that support her have been running ads since May of this year or last year. And they have done so in a way that, I mean, it's probably, I've heard up to over $20 million in spending at this point. And her numbers have not gone up. And that could be trouble for her. That means that usually in politics, uh, you want to increase your positivity. uh, So you put all kinds of money in television and the web and everything else, and your numbers go up. But if your numbers don't go up, that's trouble. And that could be going back to the original thing, which is you said the toothache and the toothache, I think right now is the overall pessimism and malaise that voters have, and they're not happy about anything. And if, you know, if you step away from politics and you just go into the grocery store right now, you get it, okay? You're paying a lot more money for groceries. You're wearing a damn mask your eye your you know your glasses are fogging up you can't read the prices you know everybody's sort of miserable you can't go visit your friends you can't take a flight we thought we were going to be done with this you go and you go and you turn on television and you hear the CDC or you hear the president and you're confused by the recommendations you don't trust it this isn't rocket science and people are going to work every day they're coming home and they're like, whatever these people are doing in Washington, DC, or if in whatever capital it is, or wherever elections take place, people are unhappy and they don't feel like people are serving them. So the biggest number here that uh, is affecting a lot of this, um, we, we do this as economy and taxes or government and, 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 and spending and jobs but if you add up sort of all that and say it's the economy all of that the number one issue of 39% it's an overwhelming number so 39% have this and what are they concerned about with the economy right now we have record i wouldn't i don't know if it's record but 3.2 un, unemployment rate basically is solid uh, un, unemployment or you can get a job wherever you want. Right? It's now.
0: rock bottom. It's rock it's bottom. it's stellar economic news that that any president would love to have.
1: Uh, this stock market, despite going up and down, uh, consistently sort of goes up. Okay, we're, it's not like we've lost twenty percent of our retirement account. So, what in the economy is out there that we're unhappy about? Well, obviously, it's inflation, and inflation, and when the president is standing there fresh off of Afghanistan and what he said at the podium, Afghanistan, and he's saying, we need to spend $2 trillion more and we'll get rid of an uh, inflation. I think most people probably say, I don't, that doesn't add up and that's not going to solve my problem. So who else is going to solve my problems?
0: Well, and, you know, to build on that point, even if people don't make the explicit calculus about government spending might lead to inflation, and there, there is definitely empirical support for the idea in other polls that voters do make that connection. But even if not, maybe your core point, the original point we were making, is is sort of the overwhelming one driving this, which is, it, it's, it's the explanation from Iglesias. It's, this may not be Joe Biden's fault. This may not be Senator Hassan's fault or any elected official, but it's their problem. And- voters are unhappy and i think where the disconnect comes in discussing polls like this and and in all the punditocracy that's out there is democrats trying to say well there are many things going well as you just pointed out i mean from an from an overall economic standpoint we are doing outstandingly well and at the same time something else can be true which is Voters are unhappy and they're justified to feel that way. And your grocery store image is the right one. I'm not thrilled with with how the world is going. I'm not thrilled with how America is going. And the the very bitterness and polarization and anger in politics, even if things are getting done in Washington, which they are, that's still what bleeds through. That's still what I feel and what what people are saying it seems to me and and you're confirming in your poll is you know it's 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 your problem we're we're not happy with the way things are going and we just want it to be fixed and we're going to take it out on anyone who's in office until they are. I just want to pick up on one final point about the overall mood, because I did an interview with your former boss, for for people who don't know, Neil Levesque, before he went into the respectable heading an institute of politics profession and purveying an excellent poll profession, actually worked as a congressional staffer and worked for a well-regarded former congressman, Charlie Bass. And you were saying a moment ago that You know, sometimes people think that their high name recognition and the generally positive associations with their name will provide them a little bit of a seawall against incoming storms politically. And I I was interviewing former Congressman Bass a couple of years ago, and he said that exact thing. He said, you know, I mean, he used to run ads, literally, he ran a, a track of ads that was just people saying his name, saying, hi, Charlie, we like Charlie, which was true. People knew his name. And they really liked him. And he had quite a political pedigree in New Hampshire. His grandfather was a a senator. His father was the governor. Um, It was quite something else. And in his words, when there's a wave, when there's a tsunami politically, there is nothing you can do. You can build that seawall of name ID and generally positive associations from voters. And you can do all the kinds of things that you, Neil, used to do as a staffer, providing community service and constituent service to people you represent. And if the wave is high enough, it just doesn't matter. And that long preamble is a lead in to a question to you, which is you point out in your most recent poll that when you look at the generic ballot, just the question of, do you as a voter generally favor a Republican or a Democrat to represent you in Congress in the next election? Republicans now hold a six point lead, 46% to 40%. The largest Republican advantage in the history of the poll. So the million dollar question for 2022 is Charlie Bass's question. Is there a wave forming at this point? Do you see the early signs of it? I definitely
1: think that there's a wave forming. And I think that that number indicates that. Uh, just a point to to your previous statement that I probably would still be working for Congressman Bass had we not been defeated by, uh, Congressman Hodes, who had a campaign manager by the name of Matt Robeson.
0: That so- was later. That was later. I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> responsible for this one. Oh, six. Was wasn't on me, man?
1: It just goes to show that, you know, in politics we evolve and it's all sort of, you know, there's a professional side to it. Uh, and now we're good friends. So it's, uh, it's been great. So anyway, um, I do think that there is a way. So I do think that there are ways for Democrats to um, get out of this. When we talk about COVID, um, obviously, COVID is on everyone's minds. But when you ask people, is it your number one issue, only 8% say yes.
0: Well, that's so, interesting.
1: It's number one concern. But it is a concern, obviously, and it's in our lives. It's really that economy and everything with jobs and the economy and all of that taxes, it all kind of comes together. That is the overwhelming number. But I think that one of the problems that we have is that Biden, I think, was elected to sort of sweep out Trump and now he's become sort of known as a partisan. Now, what do I mean by that? On a Monday, he'll go to Georgia and make a very, very partisan, fiery speech that says that Republicans are this, that, and the other thing, and they're terrible. And then on Tuesday, he'll be in the Rose Garden saying, now I'm speaking to all Americans, and you need to, let's say, just for the sake of argument, wear a mask. Well, half the country remembered day one, and he's the partisan person on day one, and on day two, the partisan person starting to, trying to lead us out of this pandemic. And that doesn't work. And it didn't work for the last president either. And I think that one of the things if he were to have just said, you know, I'm going to focus on this pandemic and things like inflation, and I'm going to let the partisanship be taken care of by the vice president and Schumer and Pelosi, I think his numbers would be far better. But what we've seen is that he just can't seem to do that we've seen just this week where he had a press conference where it was really a debacle when you consider the fact that for days afterwards they were making clarifications on a number of different things but one of the things that he did he had an he from the podium when asked by now rightly it was a fox news reporter but he was asked by a fox news reporter about inflation and he you know basically said a swear word about him about the reporter that he was dumb but what if you really boil that down, it's you know, inflation is not a concern to me. You know, that's what he was really saying. It's not on my radar. Well, it's on the voters' radar. So if the White House figures out that they could lead people out of COVID and tackle some of these inflation things, and sort of it's very hard when you're in the trenches every day, but take a step back from the partisanship, I think they'd be far better off. But I can tell you right now, when you see a number like 74% believe the country's on the wrong track, that's not a good place to be. And it's time to
0: to turn. Well, it really does get back to the point that I I very much hear what you're saying. And I think it's frustrating. I think it's frustrating for Democrats because they feel like the comparison is unfair. Take, for example, the press conference. You have President Biden delivers the longest press conference in recorded memory, a two-hour press conference in which, despite some claims to the contrary, he's lucid and coherent and very on top of things and, and able to hold a two-hour press conference. I can't do that. I would collapse. I would fall down. Um, I, I, I may not make it through this show, but he makes it through this. And and for most of it, he, he does a pretty pretty solid job And then he has this jibe, which was unfortunate against the Fox News reporter. And what incenses Democrats is like, well, wait a second, hold on. okay, he shouldn't have said that. Whoops. But you compare that to the insane rambling press conferences that are like a deranged public access TV rant from President Trump where he's saying, hey, aren't there fluids we could clean ourselves out with internally? It was like the famous bleach thing and so many other incredible outrages and they say, aren't Aren't we all kind of losing our minds about the wrong thing here? But what you're saying is, so what? It doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, again, I'll go back to the Iglesias quote. It may not be his fault. It doesn't have to be fair or just. It's still his problem. The fact of the matter is, what you're showing so well, and I think explaining really well in the the cover memo of your poll, is Voters feel this way, and they're justified. They're unhappy. They're unhappy about inflation. And you've got to show that it matters to you and that you're laser focused on it. If the original theory, the, uh, the original political theory of the Biden White House a year ago was, we have two missions, the pandemic and the economy. If we fix those, then we'll be fine. That's all we should focus on. It, 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 it seems like what you're suggesting is, maybe we have a wave forming. Maybe there's very little that Democrats in elected office and the president can do to avoid a 2022 midterm wipeout. But the one path that might work is return to that original theory and show you really get it. And your head, even, even if it's unjust, unfair, is where your problem is, where the voters' concerns are.
1: Sure. And, you know, speaking of President Trump, you know, I sat through many of those rambling press conferences and just shook my head as well. But voters are not thinking about that. They're thinking about today. Right. And they're judging you on today. And if th- that's a distant memory for them. So there's no comparison right now. And so that's one of the things it's not, you know, fairness is not part of politics. Uh, you know, and, and the absence of hypocrisy is either is not, is not either. You know what I mean? We see hypocrisy all the time. Um, The 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 issue right now is how does Biden shift gears here to try to um, change the outlook? Now, he fought pretty hard for the elections changes and the filibuster changes. And our polling showed that only four percent of voters thought that was their top issue. But the base of the Democratic Party cares about that. And that's why he was doing it. So again, he's still focused on the base, as if he's running in a in a in a primary. And I don't know whether or not it's because, you know, what what he said in that press conference was he blamed um, his failures on his communication. He said, "I need to get out on the road and look people in the eye, and that's what I'm good at." Well, Joe Biden is good at a lot of things, and he's a very talented person, and obviously got to the top job. But here in the New Hampshire primary, he did not do very well. And he didn't do well because he wasn't good at that looking people in the eye and going out and campaign. He was not good at that. And so to blame it on communications rather than what are you talking about? And why are voters giving you a thumbs down? And That kind of a correction in the White House is a thing I think that can save um, the midterm elections for Democrats. Am I optimistic that they'll do that? No, because you usually hunker down in politics and you sort of deflect all criticism. It's just the way you get. And I think in the White House, that's more prevalent than almost any other place.
0: Well, first of all, to your point, I actually did an interview with a political scientist who literally wrote the book on this, on this question of, is it possible for Joe Biden to go out on the road and sort of sell his vision and his accomplishments to the American people and use the so-called bully pulpit? The answer is no. If you look historically at all the data of this, it never works. Presidents actually don't move public opinion through the bully pulpit, I commend that episode to our listeners. You can find it in the Beyond Politics podcast feed. It was really eye-opening for me because I grew up in politics hearing this whole bully pulpit thing. And, oh, wow, what a a huge advantage. Turns out, not not really a thing. But I do want to go back a, a moment to something very interesting you said about the filibuster. Because that is a topic that has dominated political discussion of late, this question of should Democrats in the Senate do away with or change at least a portion of the filibuster rule to allow themselves to pass some election protection, voting reform legislation that they feel is badly needed. I happen to personally agree with that. That's another another discussion. You had, I think, a very interesting finding in your poll. Now, I'll caution that we can't necessarily extrapolate from your findings among a sample of New Hampshire voters to necessarily how voters would feel in Arizona or West Virginia, the homes of Senator Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. But to the extent that we found consistently that your poll is a pretty good proxy and it does track very well with findings that we see around the country, it, it does provide at least a hint of an insight here. What you find in your poll is that when you ask, would you be more likely or less likely to support an elected official that votes to eliminate the Senate filibuster, to allow legislation to pass with a simple majority? It looks at the top level like a very even split. It's it's 41% say, yeah, I'm more likely to support an elected official who does that. 44% say less likely. But when you look underneath that at intensity, you find something a little bit different on each side. And I wonder if that explains some of Senator Cinema and Senator Man- Manchin's approach on this. What did you find? And, and do you think that that does provide some insight?
1: Well, I think that the, uh, to some degree, they're really talking to their bases when when they did this. And um, if anything, I think Cinema and, and Manchin displayed the fact that they were in the middle and everybody else was on the other side. Why did the Democrats go so fervently uh, on an issue that they knew was not going to pass. And obviously, I think that some of this is obviously they're talking to their base and they're firing up their base, and they're letting them know that they care about it. The same, you know, can be said with um, uh, the elections changes. Um, I don't know whether or not it's going to bear fruit. I mean, so far, you're again, they're still talking to their bases, and you know we 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 can dig down a little deeper into the cross tabs, but I'm just perplexed by why they ended up pushing so hard for something that was so partisan an issue
0: well and and to your point, I mean, just even just like just a click down within your results, it shows that the people who say they're much more likely to support someone who wants to do away with the filibuster. That's 26%. I'm assured that's mostly Democrats. But the people who say they're much less likely, that's much less likely, are 40%. So to me, what kind of jumped out is this difference in intensity on this issue. And you may be, if you're a Democrat, firing up the base on your side, and maybe there's a good political reason to do that. But your poll suggests to me that you might be paying more of a penalty than you're getting as a benefit in terms of firing up your opposition.
1: Right. So here in New Hampshire, Hassan uh, said that she wanted to do away with the filibuster to get rid of, to uh, change uh, the the national elections. And, and she may fire up more Republicans to drive to the polls, write checks to her opponent. I think nationally, though... You know the intensity amongst big organizations and donors, as we've seen actually with cinema, where some uh, some of the big organizations like Emily's List, uh, Emily's List have pulled out of supporting her, or at least threatened to. Um, I think that the big donor universe nationally, the intensity on this issue is probably it's probably their number one issue that they care about. And so, if you're running for re-election to the U.S. Senate. And you have to raise, you know, hundred million dollars. You're going to be focused too, not only in on New Hampshire voters, and it's not fair. It's everybody does it on both sides, but you're also going to be interested in pull. Po- you can't really pull these national groups, but I'm sure that the interests of the national groups that cr- create a lot of the funding for candidates is front and center on their minds as well.
0: Although. <laughs> It is interesting to me that well i will I'll give a concrete example for our um you know just looking deeper into into your poll here it is when you look at Governor Sununu, who has consistently been one of the most popular governors in the country, you across the different iterations of your poll over the last year have shown a pretty steady, slow but steady Decline in approval rating. Now, that was from sky-high numbers that a lot of governors experienced during the height of the pandemic, where there was a certain amount of rally around the flag. But the interesting thing that I see here is that you say that 45% now say that he's done a good enough job to deserve reelection to what would be, I think, an unprecedented fourth term for a New Hampshire governor. 45% now say it's time to give someone else a chance. Now you point out that that's without a hypothetical opponent. So you're you're just kind of looking at a, a generic finding. If you are in his camp, do you find this number encouraging or discouraging?
1: I think that it's a sign of the times, the same going back to that 74% number. Now, he still has the highest number when you compare. I, I like to call it... Um, the Tom Brady effect in in one's marriage. So would you like to vote for somebody else? Would you like to be married to somebody else? And my wife thinks of Tom Brady. It's the perfect candidate. Would you vote for somebody else? And that perfect candidate appears. It could be Bernie Sanders. It could be Elizabeth Warren. It could be Chris Sununu. It could be anybody, but it's the perfect candidate in their mind. The problem with Sununu right now is that a quarter of people who say that that they're very conservative are not favorable to Sununu. So he's been a, a, a consistent republican but it, to some degree the very very conservative folks in New Hampshire a quarter of them are not particularly happy and I think that that's where his weakness is. Interesting thing about those numbers you mentioned our our uh, our chart which is you can find on our NHILP website um, Sununu is high in, in in the numbers as so the Sununu was contemplating running against Hassan. So the Democrats came out and the Democratic, um, Democratic groups came out and spent millions and millions of dollars on negative ads against him. He remained high. And then when he decided he wasn't going to run for the U.S. Senate, those ads dissipated. Obviously, he's no longer a threat and now his numbers start to come down. It's almost like that one quarter of very conservative republicans said, that's our guy, don't kick him. But now that the they're not the democrats aren't attacking him, they are now saying, well, he's not, you know, the sun god we thought he was.
0: So Well, that's a, that is actually a fascinating point to kind of lead into my final question of the, of the show. Although I have to just interject that like you, my wife also is apt to picture Tom Brady as an alternative. Why? Because when a bunch of our friends took her out for a little bachelorette dinner, before we got married, they gave her a framed photo of the two of us together from which they had cut out my head and replaced it with a picture of Tom Brady's that (laughs) is wrong. But there you go. You're right. He is the platonic ideal of the alternative. Damn, (laughs) good-looking jerk. So (laughs) final question. Um, You know, you you make a really interesting point. And I think it it, it does bring our conversation full circle to this issue of right track, wrong track, approval, disapproval. Because to some degree, there is a, a, a gap there. When people are saying to a pollster, don't like what's happening. Things are on the wrong track. I disapprove. They're not saying, but I won't vote for the person on my side, especially in these super polarized, hyper divided times. And so I hear you saying much the same thing when it comes to Governor Sununu, that right now when the pressure's off and people aren't being inundated with you know, messages, vote against this guy, they're not rallying to his side and conservatives feel okay. They have permission to tell a pollster like you, yeah, we're not too happy with them right now. But when it comes to election time, when there's an alternative and it's this gal or guy versus this gal or guy, by and large, people are gonna return to their political home bases. The question will be which home base turns out in greater numbers. And that's where the advantage would seem to be in the midterm election, clearly with the Republican party does that does that wash with you is that is that pretty much what you're seeing
1: yes and that's where that 46 would take a republican on the ballot generic ballot to 40 here in new hampshire that's where that really matters is because you kind of boil out the personality and you say where where would you go and right you know you may be in the republican camp but right now all those independents are sort of saying which camp are we going to go into and right now by uh, you know, 46 to 40 in tight elections, that's significant uh, margin. 6% is significant nowadays, especially in a state like New Hampshire. And I think that that's where the advantage is. I mean, right now, if things remain the same, which I think, judging by, you know, an obs- being an observer of the White House and Schumer, things will probably remain the same. I think that it will probably be an advantage for the Republicans in the 2022 elections. That being said, I think, and we've talked about this before, there is an issue out there that I think that could change that. And that if in June, the Supreme court restricts Roe versus Wade, or there's the perception of the restrictions of Roe versus Wade, that is an issue I think that could fire up Democrats and liberals and many people that are concerned about that issue across the board. And when you try to take something away from voters, sometimes voters react. Uh, meaning, same with the Second Amendment, if you try to take guns away, a lot of the times voters will react, and they'll go to the polls on that one issue. Uh, and so that's the kind of big thing that I think is, is sort of uh, foreshadowing the 2022 elections. But I think that the if we look at the White House right now and we look at the trends, it's unlikely that they're going to change course.
0: Neil Levesque, New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm's. Thanks so much. And we're looking forward to having you back for the next iteration of your poll.
1: Thanks, Matt.